Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21, we're learning about love in action. What it looks like when we share with others the transformative love of God that we have received. We have freely received and we want to freely give. And last week, we were reminded to love sincerely and to let that sincere love be expressed in sharing with those in need and practicing hospitality. Those were our two specific points of application, even as we were saying, what does it mean for us to love sincerely? And keep in mind that this directive to love sincerely applies to all the verses that follow verse 9. Verse 9 says love must be sincere. But this, this title, this, this heading as such, to love sincerely, it applies to all of the verses, and that's what Paul is communicating in this passage that we're reading this morning. So let's read Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21, to learn more practical applications of loving sincerely. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. That comes from Deuteronomy 22:35. It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. That comes from Proverbs 25, 21 through 22. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In this passage, just as we saw last week in Romans chapter 12, 9 through 13, Paul writes in a very unstructured way. He moves from one topic to another with only a loose connection to the overarching theme of loving sincerely. But this was actually a common communication style at that time. It's called perinesis, right? where the writer makes moral exhortations, they rely on traditional sources of information to make their point, and they move from one point to another in short, seemingly disconnected sentences. And Paul does this in many of his epistles. You'll see these you know, quick, quick statements that he makes like this. And here, Paul is directing believers to adopt certain specific moral behaviors in terms of dealing with those who are opposed to you, to those people. So last week, we were dealing with those that are in the household of faith, people who are of like mind and same precious faith and so on. But here, we're talking about people who are opposed to you, who persecute you, who come against you. And so he's speaking about specific moral obligations or behaviors in terms of how you deal with those folks. And then he cites the Old Testament, Jewish tradition, and Jesus' teaching. 
this bless those who persecute you comes directly from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So he's just essentially quoting that. Right? He doesn't say Jesus said this, but he's speaking about that and he knows that the people that he's speaking to will have that point of reference. So he makes multiple points about emotion, pride, revenge, meeting needs, and the nature of evil. The overarching theme of this passage, of course, is to love sincerely, to put into action what we have learned of God's love. But the more specific lesson that I want to highlight is that when we love in harmony with God's word and God's will, it will enable us to live in harmony with people. When we are loving according to God's command, when we are receiving God's love and loving out that way, when we love in harmony with God's word and his will, we will live in harmony with other people. So, loving in harmony with God's word and his will is simple, not easy. Right? I don't know what your reaction was when you, read, when you first read Romans 12. I can tell you my thought was, no way. I don't know. This is tough. How could I possibly do this? How could I possibly bless those who persecute me? How could I possibly be kind to others like this? How could I possibly overlook offense? How could I possibly live like this? And you read this passage and you're thinking, I don't know if God really means this. Right? You know, I mean, it's a good, it's a good, it's a nice to have. But not practical. And, and by the way, my reaction to this is not because I didn't understand what was written. It's not that I read it and I said, I don't know what this means. I, I, I can't figure it out, so then I don't think it applies. It wasn't that at all. These directives, along with every one of God's commands or laws, his statutes, what's written for us, they're all very simple. Honor God, don't kill, do not steal, give thanks, pray without ceasing, be filled with the Spirit, be patient, love one another, be prepared. Very simple statements. There's nothing very complicated about those statements. You don't have to know Greek or Hebrew to understand them. You just simply read them and you say, oh, okay, I see them, I read them, I understand. They're very simple statements. There's no complicated method associated with these directives. In fact, if you're spending a lot of time figuring out the rules and the boundaries and elaborate methods for how to follow these directives. And there are plenty of movements, denominations, churches, everybody else who are spending a lot of time on the method, on the rules, on the ritual, on the practice, and saying, if you do this just like this, then it's right. If you don't do it like this, then it's not right. But if you're spending a whole lot of time figuring out the rules and boundaries and methods, you're probably moving in the direction of the Pharisees who thought that they were doing everything right but missed the point of the law. Rather than moving in the direction of Jesus who kept the law without necessarily adhering to the customs, traditions, and methods that the Pharisees and others before them had come up with. So, the commands of God are simple, but they're not easy. 
They are not easy. Why? I've stated this before, that the commands of God, the statements of God, the directives of God, are deliberately demanding so that we will realize that we cannot keep them on our own and must diligently depend on God. Right? God's commands are deliberately demanding. He sets a very high standard. He says, be holy because I'm holy. <laughs> what? You know, he says, don't react this way, react that way. Respond with love. If someone slaps you on one cheek, show the other cheek. And you read these statements and you say, these, these are so demanding on me, there's just no way I can do it. It must be. And there's where, that's where the word of God gets us. It must be that I have to diligently, every moment, not just every once in a month kind of thing. You know, yep, I got it. I'll be loving, I'll be kind, I'll be patient. No, every moment I have to diligently depend on God. On God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit to trust and to obey what he has said. And so our dependence is based on relationship, not rules. Our dependence on God is depending on him, not on all of the other circumstances and definitely not on ourselves. We're not depending on ourselves to say, I can do it. God told me to be holy, I'll be holy. Right? And then we'd say to others, look at me, I'm holy. That's not the point. God is not saying to us, prove to me that you can do this. He's saying, depend on me. You cannot do this. Depend on me. Our dependence is based on our relationship with God. That relationship with God leads us to love God. Leads us to love his word. Leads us, therefore, to love obeying his commands. We keep his commands because we want to keep them. Not because we are forced to keep them. If you're in a church, or you're in an activity, or you're in your Christian life, and you think you should do something because you have to do it, you won't do it. Maybe on the outside you'll do it, right? I'm standing on the outside, I'm sitting on the inside, or the other way around, you know. You know how the, we, we, we will do something, we will show some behavior on the outside, but it won't be sincere. Because we think, oh, I have to do this. But if you want to, if the desire is coming from within you, if there's a motivation of love to obey what the Lord has commanded, you'll say, oh God, I long to do this. I hunger and thirst for your righteousness. My, as the deer pants for the water, so I long for what you're asking me to do. And I want to obey you, God. I want to follow in your footsteps. I want to do this. Then, you know, when... We don't do it. We don't say, oh, I didn't do it. I, I, know, I missed, you know, today I missed an on my checklist. I missed, uh, didn't get enough points. No, it is something where we say, oh, I missed this. Oh, I'm grieving the Lord. Oh, the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry that I've hurt you. It's personal. It's not a do, you know, it's not a list. It's, you're not being scored. You're being loved. And you're responding in love. 
as we keep his commands, because we are meditating on and diligently applying his word, we begin to learn what is in harmony with his will and what is not. But here's the point that I want to make. Right? You watch this thing, and, and like I said, you go into a, into a live performance, and it's just glorious to hear the, the full orchestra in this way. And you can learn an individual instrument, right? You can learn ukulele or violin or drums or whatever else, but that's not sufficient, right? And you can learn the music. You can know that it's Ode to Joy, and you can know how it moves, and you know the tempo and everything else. And that's not sufficient. And you can watch a conductor, and he seems to be doing very little, actually, but you, know, you can watch a direct, uh, conductor and maybe figure out what, what direction he's giving, but even that's not sufficient. All of it has to come together. And it has to be on beat, and it has to be where they're playing in the same key, and it has to be where all of that harmonizes with each other. And unless that happens, you don't get this glorious sound. You don't get this full effect. You can watch all of the things that you want to. You can have all sorts of independent, independent and individual capabilities. But until you hear that all put together, it doesn't sound the way that Beethoven intended it, or the way that we respond to it, and the way that we say, whoa, what a glorious music. And then to hear the voices come in, all of the things that would accompany it, we say, wow, there's harmony. There's a joy here. There's a, there's a coming together that is far beyond what one person could do on their own, and far beyond even what we can expect. And even when you're working on your piece and you're practicing, you can't really put that all together until everybody comes into that orchestra and performs in that way. It's a very similar thing for us in the body of Christ. We've been talking about spiritual gifts. We've been talking about the ways in which we would express the work of God in and through our lives. But you know what? It's not about us individually. It's not even about us following direction or doing something else and saying, I've been obedient to God. It's not just about us knowing what the Bible says and following the sheet music. It's about us coming together as a body, in harmony, because all of us are coming together based on the same word of God. And as we then sing, as we then worship, as we then minister, there is a glorious harmony that takes place. And here's the thing. We have to be diligent to learn and apply God's word and therefore fulfill his will. When we are in harmony with God's word and God's will, we can then love others according to God's word and God's will. And that enables us to live in harmony with them. And here's why it's vitally important for us to live in harmony with others. Because living in harmony with people is required, not optional. You know these verses that we just read? Bless those who persecute you. Not if you feel like it, if it's convenient, 
if they're blessing you or if they're not you know, doing something too bad. Bless those who per persecute you. Associate with everyone. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. Not just a few, not just the ones who agree with you. Do right with, in the eyes of everyone. Live in harmony with one another. These are not stated as optional commands. They're stated as requirements, as necessary for the Christian life. So what happens if someone is trying to harm you? What happens if the person you're associating with, associate with everyone, what happens if the person you're associating with is a bad, maybe even an evil influence? What do you do if you think you're doing the right thing, but someone else doesn't think it's right? In the coming weeks, when we go through Romans 14 and 15 in particular, we're going to consider how to refrain from doing what we think is acceptable for the sake of the weaker brother or sister. Okay? This week, we're learning that one of the motivations, one of the motivations to give up what we think are our rights. It's my right. And here in the US, we are very fond of saying that. It's my right. But the Bible calls us to give up our rights. And one of the motivations to give up our rights for the sake of another is so that we would live in harmony with one another. I said last week that sometimes we find it hard to love the members of our natural and our spiritual family because we see the insincerities in them. We see the faults and the flaws and the shortcomings and they see it in us. And then we find it difficult to love sincerely. We need the love of God flowing to us and in us and we have to have it flowing to others. We also need the knowledge, understanding and wisdom of God to discern and determine how our love should be expressed. So the question before us, even as we look at these passages, these verses, is what do I do? How do I, in fact, show love to this other person, especially to somebody who's not loving back to me? Right? How do I do that? Well, notice Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Or live in harmony with one another. Now, what does, this, what does that phrase, as far as it depends on you, mean? I know what I think about when I think about when I see that phrase. I say, all right, I'm determining that limit. What are the limits and the boundaries of as far? I have something in my mind, right? I have an expectation, this much. It's, it's like Peter coming to Jesus and saying, do I forgive my brother seven times? And he thought he was being quite generous, right? I mean, the custom of the time would have been to forgive once, twice, at the most three times. And he said, do I forgive my brother seven times? That's what we would do when we see these statements. As far as depends on you, we say, oh, I know what that means. I know what the limits are. But at what point do you say, nope, now you've gone too far. Right? No, no. Now I'm not going to be kind to you. Now I'm not going to be patient with you. Now you're taking advantage of me. No more. At what point do you do that? 
Or what if the other person's behavior is threatening your life, your spouse's life, your children's life? How will you decide that it is no longer possible to live at peace with that person? The Bible says live at peace with everyone. But you say, as far as depends on me, and here's the limit, no more. So here's the thing. Remember that the word of God and his transforming work in us leads us to think differently because we are being renewed in our mind and we are receiving the mind of Christ. We are allowing the mind of Christ to dominate, not our own thinking. We're changing our worldview. We're changing our mindsets. We're no longer seeing things as the way the world sees it. So all those ways in which I used to think in the past that led me to say, as far as means this, suddenly looks very different. And so now, what used to get me upset and angry in the past doesn't even bother me. Why? Because my thinking has changed. My mind has been renewed. What's dominating me is no longer the old self. What is true for me now is my new life in Christ Jesus. And so when we do this, when we are no longer standing for what we want, then we are striving to help others get what they need. When we are dying to self, when we are saying, okay, it's no longer about what I used to think, the boundaries and the limits and the, and the ways in which I would define my as far as are different, I see them as God sees them, now we're willing to put aside our own interests, our own rights for the sake of the other person. Now, let me, let me make a point about this. You know, as I was going through this and preparing this, there's a lot of, lot of debate, a lot of talk, a lot of concern about what these limits should be. And could you be retaliatory against somebody else if it's self-defense? So someone comes to attack you, should you, should you say, no, I'm a person of peace, or I'm, you know, I love everybody, I live at peace with everybody? Should you do that, or should you respond? Right? And clearly, there are principles in the word of God that apply to that. Should you ever be engaged in war? Should you ever do anything at all that would be in opposition to someone else? Clearly, the word of God has principles about those things, I'm not going into all of those details. Glad to pick, the, pick up some of those points on Wednesday and talk through them in our sermon discussion. But the point that I want to make to you is that when we come to the Lord Jesus and we're allowing the word of God to inform us, we're not defining, we're not answering these questions in our own wisdom. We're saying, what does the Bible, what does the Holy Spirit, what does God have to say to me about how I deal with this situation? about how I deal with this person, about how I respond in this circumstance. And so we give that importance to the word of God and we say the important difference in the way that we respond is that we're doing everything according to the standards and principles of the word of God, not according to our thinking, right? So how should we respond to somebody else? We do not compromise what is given in the word of God. We do not compromise either way. We do not, we do not say, well, it says to do this, but I don't think it's, I'm, I'm going to do that. Or it says not to do this, and, but I'm going to go ahead and do that. We do not compromise in either direction. 
We say, Lord God, I will stay to your word. And we are not sanctioning ungodliness. We are saying we will be consistent with what the Lord has said in his word. All that, his, all that is necessary for life and godliness has been given. We will stay consistent with that. And so we are helping others, not just to deal with the circumstances of their life, we're helping others to establish their relationship with God. So when we respond in just the way that the world would respond, we don't get them to God. But when we start to respond according to the word of God, according to the mind of Christ, and we get them to see Jesus, now that transforms them. That transforms the circumstance. So the as far as is what the word of God says. As far as it depends on you makes it sound like it's in your thinking. No, this is as far as it depends on you having the word of God in you as far as it depends on God. That's what it's really going after. That's what it's saying. So that we would say, this is how I live. We are so filled with the word of God and the Holy Spirit, our teacher, our counselor, who brings the word of God to life, that we apply the truth of God's word in our relationships, both with friends and with foes. Which brings us to this point of application this morning. We respond and apply the word of God that we have heard by living in harmony with one another. That's the commitment we have to make. That we would live in harmony with one another. That we would say, Lord God, my goal is to make music in harmony with everybody. Romans chapter 12, verse 20, that we read here says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And in light of the command to live in harmony with one another, or as far as possible at peace with one another, clearly this burning coals reference is not so that you'll go and do something literally. right? Let me tell you how God responds with you. You're being mean to me. Let me, put heaping, you know, let me heap burning coals on your head. That's not what the Bible is talking about. The best understanding of this is that instead of us retaliating against someone, that the Lord who is our avenger, the verse right before this is that the Lord will repay, the Lord will take care of it. When that someone is being nasty towards you, you allow the Lord to do what's necessary to bring him to repentance, to bring her to repentance. Our responsibility is to share with those in need, even those who would be hostile towards us. Our responsibility is to always seek the good of others by doing good as the Lord leads. And why, why do all that? Because that last verse that we read, it's a very important one. It's a cautionary statement. And I want to read to you what Tim Keller points out in his commentary of Romans. He says, do not, you know, that last phrase that says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's saying that to repay evil with evil is immediately to lose the battle to evil. The only way to defeat evil is by doing good to the one who has done harm. In other words, if you hate a person who has wronged you, that person has won. 
The only way to defeat the evil is to forgive and love the person. Another way to put it is that when we identify evil too closely with the evildoer, we believe we need to destroy the evildoer in order to destroy evil. So it seems, to, it seems good to do evil and we unwittingly become a pawn of the evil force behind the evildoer. What's he saying? Separate these things. Don't associate them in such a way that you start to attack or condemn or, or retaliate against the evildoer. But rather, let the Lord take care of that and you respond. Doing good to others, living in peace with them, living in harmony with others is an antidote to evil. You see evil in the world around you? You see all the things that where creation itself is groaning? You see all the problems? You see the evil around you? The antidote to that is not to retaliate, but rather to live in a countercultural way. It's to live in harmony. It's to do good. It's to be in peace. And when we live in harmony with others, again, by the way, this is not easy. This is not easy. But when we live in harmony with others, it's not that we just have peace in our lives. We make the world a better place. In his commentary on Romans, John Stott sums up the command to put love into action like this. Love is sincere, discerning, affectionate, and respectful. It is both enthusiastic and patient, both generous and hospitable, both benevolent and sympathetic. It is marked by both harmony and humility. Christian churches would be happier communities if we all loved one another like this. Our homes, our cities, our nations, and the world would be happier if we all loved one another like this. As I was saying last week, I'll make the similar statement to end this week. Let's start here. Let's start in our own homes. Let's start in our church. Let's start in our spheres of influence. Let's say, Lord God, help me to love sincerely. Help me to put love in action. Help me to forgive. Help me to overlook the offense. Help me to be led by your spirit. Help me to live at peace with everyone. Help me to live in harmony. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that your word is so good to us so rich to us. And Father, I thank you that you deliberately challenge us to, Lord, to go after, to aim for, to, Lord, go after a mark that is far beyond our capability. And Lord, we cannot help but miss that mark and fall short, for all of us have sinned and fall short of the mark of, that, of what the truth that you have set for us. But I thank you, Lord. Thanks be to God that you have saved us. You have redeemed us. You have not left us to ourselves, but instead you've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. You've given us every promise and every power that we need so that indeed, Lord, we can live in this earth at peace with everyone. Oh, Lord God, I thank you that as you renew our minds, Lord, Cause us every single day 
to extend the boundary of what we have thought as far as means. Lord, we have set limits for our children, for our spouses, for our colleagues at work, for our boss, and we've said, oh, this is what it means, as far as this. I'm not going to take any more. But Lord, help us to see that the definition of as far as is what you say it is. It's what your word says it is. It's how your Holy Spirit leads us to it. So that just as Jesus, the almighty Lord, creator of everything, Lord of this universe, could stand before his accusers without saying a word, could go as a lamb to the slaughter, Lord, to be crucified, Lord, not to oppose, but Lord, to be the Prince of Peace. Oh, Lord God, grant us that same grace. Grant us that same mind of Christ. Grant us, Lord, the opportunity and the ability by your Holy Spirit to live in harmony. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.